You are listening to The Matrix is Real. Welcome. My name is Neo. Uh, back-to-back episode recordings today. Um, just some breaking news. With everything going on between Russia and the rest of the Western world right now, um, major uh, leak of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline um, that was detected very quickly, pretty much everyone involved started saying that this was this didn't appear to be an accident. This was some sort of sabotage. And for those of you that are unaware, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline basically runs um, under the Baltic Sea and um, making it, you know, almost impossible. You know, leaks do occur, but one of this size and magnitude are almost unprecedented. And uh, furthermore, uh, this was updated at 9.32 Eastern Time. Swedish broadcaster SVT reported that the Swedish National Seismic Network detected two underwater explosions near the Nord Stream 2 pipeline system on Monday. Uh, Bjorn Lund, a professor of seismology and director of the Swedish National Seismic Network, said these two seismic events were explosions. So, at a time when Europe is facing a major energy uh, shortage due to the sanctions imposed uh, unilaterally by the EU and the United States and its allies against Russia, um, then all of a sudden this thing happens. And I've already seen a lot of Western media outlets saying, well... Was this Putin that attacked essentially Russia's own pipeline? Russia is 100% shareholder of the the pipeline, but it is operated by Germany. So, you know, very quickly, why would Russia attack its own pipeline? It's already made excuse after excuse for lowering the supply to Europe. Um, Several times reporting, you know, random leaks that that made it unsafe to continue operation. But... That it would go and attack something that, like all that oil flowing out right now into the Baltic Sea is Russian oil. So they're losing a ton of money right now. And also, I would imagine, since Russia owns the pipeline, they're probably responsible for repairing it. So the the, the damage to Russia is twofold. They're losing a lot of money in terms of a natural resource. But also, they're going to probably be on the hook for repairing this and any environmental fallout that, that, that follows. Um... But some interesting, interesting stuff in terms of who is responsible. That's the first thing. Some people said, well, it's Ukraine. Well, Ukraine has to receive, you know, almost it seems like daily uh, infusions of billions of dollars in funding from the United States just to keep its military going. Um, So I highly doubt, and I've heard other people say this, that that Ukraine possesses the technical capability um, to carry out such, uh, such an attack. But... Let's just back up a few months before the invasion of Ukraine officially started. Um, it was none other than Joe Biden that gave a speech where he literally said that if if Putin and Russia invade Ukraine, that the United States will take Nord Stream 2 offline and, and make sure that it does not move forward. And one of the reporters asked him, well, how are you going to do that? Because the pipeline is operated by, by Germany, you know, a Western ally. And Biden just kind of smiles and says, don't worry, we'll get it done. And he, he just had this like creepy like smile on his face, almost like read between the lines on that one. Um, but then today, from German mag- magazine Spiegel, uh, they say that the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, recently warned Berlin about the increasing signs of a possible planned attack on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline system. 
Spiegel reported, citing unnamed sources, that the CIA tipped off Berlin in the summer about possible attacks on NS-1 and NS-2. They, they, furthermore, they said the CIA warned Germany weeks ago of a coming attack on natural gas pipelines, and Russia could have pulled off such an attack, but, quote, it is difficult to see whether Russia or Ukraine could have an interest in such an incident, end quote. Quote, from Ukraine's point of view, with the permanent interruption of gas supplies from Russia to Germany would be a possible interest in the room. On the contrary, there would be immense political disadvantages that could arise from such an attack, end quote. So, basically, what that is saying is that Russia has the capabilities to carry out such an attack, but doesn't benefit them in any way because they're shooting themselves in the foot whether or not you're restricting further supplies to, to, to Germany and Europe but on the flip side Ukraine they might benefit but they like I said they don't have the technical capabilities and given all the funding from Europe and from the United States if they were ever found responsible for this that put Zelensky and and the rest of Ukraine in, in kind of the hot seat so those two two in my opinion those two characters are kind of not not likely candidates or suspects so the cia has a history of warning you know or, or foreshadowing uh future events that later uh that later you know occur we know uh from a lot of the documents that came out of post 9-11 that the cia essentially conducts black operations you know that are basically outside of congressional oversight and we learned this uh, with the uh, drone program, primarily under Obama. Um, a lot of the, almost all of the attacks carried out in the world, the drone attacks, uh, are carried out by the CIA and do not require uh, the president or Congress to approve whatever strikes occur. So CIA essentially runs its own show. If, if you're the CIA and you want to kind of have plausible deniability of over the whole thing, it would make sense to kind of warn the very people that are, you're going about to attack that it's going to happen. Because then you can fall back and say, hey, wait, 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 it wasn't us. We warned them. Why, why would we, you know, and that's how these these three uh, letter, you know, agencies operate. They, they, they operate, people always assume they operate logically how we would as regular rational people. But these aren't operated by rationally, uh, you know, sound minded individuals. But continuing on, uh, another update, uh, 2.15 Eastern Time, Prime Minister of Denmark told reporters that the Nord Stream pipeline system damage are deliberate actions and not an accident. Um, and then this one. So we already have Joe Biden saying that the Nord Stream 2 pipeline would be taken offline uh, back in January 27th of 2022. Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs, Victoria Newland said that if Russia invades Ukraine one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. Are you seeing, you know, any 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 evidence of foul play? Because I sure am. Though the United States has a lot of political benefit and gain in doing something like this. And then this was the crazy one. Uh, let me let me let me find it for you. There there is a lot of evidence that says, that shows that you, the United States may have been directly involved. So, uh, this was posted six hours ago. An expedition, expedition, 
man, I can't say that, expeditionary detachment of the U.S. Navy ships led by the Universal Amphibious Assault Ship, the USS uh, Kearsarge, days ago was in the Baltic Sea. It was 30 kilometers from the site of the alleged sabotage on the Nord Stream 1 and uh, 2 pipelines and 50 kilometers from the threads of the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. So, just days ago, there were U.S. naval assets literally several miles away from where this all went down. It says 30 kilometers from the site of the alleged sabotage of the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. So, maybe I'm getting confused. And 50 kilometers from the threads of the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. So, basically, the pipeline that was attacked, they were only 30... They were only 30 kilometers away. You do the math. That's like 15, 20 miles. That's not very far. Um, also, on September 2nd, there were interesting maneuvers performed by an American helicopter with the call sign FFAB-123. Then it was assumed that this board was from the USS uh, Kearsarge Air Wing, and today more details were looked. According to the website ADS-B-NL... This call sign was used by six boards that day, of which we managed to establish the side numbers of three. All of them were Sikorsky MH-60S. By superimposing the FFAB-123 route on the scheme of yesterday's accident, we get a rather interesting result. The helicopter either flew along the Nord Stream 2 highway, or even between the points where the accident occurred. So, I mean... How much more evidence do we need that the United States was involved? Days before this happened, you have U.S. naval ships about 20, 30 miles or 30 kilometers from from where this all went down. And then going back about three weeks ago, you have an American helicopter coming from the same, it looks like the same Navy ships, performing maneuvers and flights that literally put them right over where this happened, or at least, at the very least, along the highway that uh, of the pipeline that that you know traverses exactly where it happened. So maybe September second, they were planting whatever explosives that that went off. But um, this is a massive, massive thing that's developing, and um, I've read that the uh, the spill. It, it's measuring about one kilometer in diameter. It's huge. And they're saying that this, this thing's not going to get capped for probably about a week. So just, just imagine the environmental damage that's occurring right now. But uh, the timing is also very suspect because right now, um, the four territories of Ukraine that are, are having a referendum to separate from Ukraine... They're all starting to announce the results, and the, the astonishing part is it's a landslide. You know, it's not like 60%, it's not 70 97%, 98%. Those are two different regions that are reporting. Another one's 96 Only one so far has been fully counted, and that one I believe was 96%. The other two are 97 98 and the other one's in the high 90s. They're still counting, but... Um, a ton of support for um, these these self-declared republics to basically be absorbed by the Russian Federation. Now, I said this yesterday. Why is that significant? Well, uh, Vladimir Putin is going to give a speech on Friday. And a lot of people are expecting that that's when he's going to basically declare that these four territories are officially part of the Russian Federation. 
Now, why is that important? It's just it, well, first of all, it's twenty percent of all the of all the land that Ukraine possesses. That's one fifth of the country is now basically overnight going to be part of Russia, and maybe internationally, Ukraine, the United States, the, the Europe, maybe they won't recognize it. But that doesn't matter. Russia is going to recognize it as well as their allies, India, China, etc. Up until this point, Russia was the foreign occupier. They were the ones that were invading these territories, right? Now, after these referendums, you now have a legal precedent to say, we're not the invaders anymore. This is our homeland. This is our territory. We will defend it with the full might of the Russian military. And we have basically three of the the highest ranking people in Russia, Vladimir Putin, uh, Sergei Lavrov, who's the foreign uh, foreign minister, and uh, Dmitry Medvedev, the former president of Russia, former prime minister of Russia, and the top uh, security um, the security he's the top security uh, diplomat role in Russia when it, with regard to the defense of Russia. All three of them have either explicitly said that they will use nuclear weapons or said you know between the lines that they that that is an option. So, do we go full-on nukes, thermonuclear war? I highly doubt it. I highly doubt it. But, if you ever had a legitimate risk for that happening, I mean, it's happening right now. Um, This is also going along the backdrop of the U.S. and global financial markets just going absolute haywire. It's like 2007, 2008 all over again. Um, We have the euro is already at parity with the U.S. dollar, you know, Back just a few years ago, it was at like 1.2, 1.4. The Great British Pound, historically, you know, also elevated, you know, 1.4, 1.5. It's crashing to parity, 1.1 to 1. So we're having currencies just going crazy. The, the, the stock market is plunging and, and it seems like going down on average about 100 to 200 points a day. And this is all happening right before the midterm elections in the United States. So, also, the other thing that I saw, um, we're seeing more and more, and I said this yesterday, more and more bankers, central bankers, are talking about central bank digital currencies. So, as all this crazy stuff's going on in the world, now they're just starting to, you know, openly more and more talk about uh, introducing uh, CBDCs. Uh, Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, said today that um, if the United States moves forward with CBDCs, which they will, you know, obviously, that um, it, they will not be anonymous. There will be an identity f- factor, and he he said, you know, just like just like the, the the current banking system has, you know, if you have a bank account, you need a social security number, an ITIN, all that stuff. Um, first of all, he's a liar. Yeah, maybe the actual banking system requires that, but you don't need to have identity. You know, you don't need to be prove your identity or link your transactions with your identity for cash transactions. Yeah, maybe you have to go to the bank and withdraw some cash and that they have all your information. But once that cash is in your hand, you can go give it to whoever and nobody knows unless you report it to the government. This new era that we're moving into, this cashless society... You're, right now, you can send Venmo to people, right? You can. A lot of people dodge taxes. A lot of independent contractors dodge taxes by Venmoing each other or sending PayPal stuff to each other if they're not linked. 
once we switch over to a cashless society, that will end. Cash will be dead. Every transaction will be intricately linked. Act, and, and I've read this before. The the um, the head of the Bank of International Settlements, which is the central bank of the of the central banks, it's like the most powerful bank on planet Earth. It's run by a guy, I believe he's from Mexico. He looks like Jabba the Hutt. This guy is morbidly obese. But he openly has bragged multiple times saying how they will be able to monitor all banking transactions in real time and will be able to stop transactions in real time. That's the dangers of the of the, the central bank digital currency is that it gives the global elite complete unilateral control over almost every facet of your life because you know i i've heard before people say that's the amazing thing about um about living in this world is it costs money to live your life and unless you're living completely off the grid even in that case you still technically need some sort of sustenance unless you're just literally living off the land you need to at some point buy supplies you need to buy you know you need to you need to get stuff to survive and that is the, the the new frontier that we're moving into is that everything goes back to money and everything is connected to money and therefore every 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 area of your life will be monitored and controlled by the elites um, I it was and then moving on more another banker so uh, Christine Lagarde uh, the um, the head of the um, European Central Bank former head of the International Monetary Fund she said, that um, again, that 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 CBDCs will not be anonymous, but also she says that CBDCs are vital for um, basically the continued control of money by central banks. In other words, Bitcoin, as all the pro Bitcoiners of out there have always said, is that Bitcoin is is not regulated. There's no you know there's no entity that controls the supply, that controls interest rates, all that stuff. So. In theory, it, it, it would allow we the people to completely detach from the the current ruling monetary authorities and government authorities because they're both linked at the hip. Um, but I've always said that's the Trojan horse. When the when the shit hits the fan, they're going to blame the lack of of oversight, the lack of centralization, the lack of regulation. On why we need to ditch and eliminate things like Bitcoin in favor of CBDCs. So my prediction for years, I know a lot of people have said Bitcoin is going to zero dollars. It may never actually go to zero dollars because you also have to understand in a hyperinflationary collapse of a, of a monetary system. Um, what that means, if, if you're not familiar with the term hyperinflation is where inflation runs so fast, so hot, so extreme that Basically, a loaf of bread would cost a million dollars. Um, in that environment, you know, we you still might have Bitcoin being traded for uh, you know large sums of money, but intrinsic value is it actually worth anything? That's what my baseline prediction has been for for years, going back probably to like 20, 2015, 2016, even I probably even before that. I, I found out about Bitcoin in twenty ten. If I remember correctly, it was about $79 a coin back then. And a lot of people, when I tell them that, they go, man, you're an idiot. You didn't, you didn't invest. I'm a principled person. I don't put my money where my mouth is not. Um, I've never believed in the idea of Bitcoin 
And so therefore, I, I don't care how much money I stood to make. I would not invest in it as a matter of principle because that's what people also don't get. When you when you get involved in things that you don't agree with, you perpetuate them. You you empower them and you continue the cycle that leads to their very, you know, continued dominance and power. So the point is is that Bitcoin as I said yesterday in my podcast, Bitcoin is a Trojan horse and and by promising, you know, the get get rich quick scheme you know, I've heard even people say you're an idiot. You're 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 going to be stay poor by not investing in Bitcoin. By convincing a lot of people, first it was like cyberpunk techies that were into it, and then after some of these huge price spikes, I think it was like 20, 2016, 2018 when it spiked to twenty thousand, and I called the top literally almost perfectly. Um, after that that happened, then you had a lot more people enter the space and a lot of people got hurt. A lot of people bought at the top 20,000 and lost, you know, a lot of money if they sold. Um, but more and more people have been, have been merging into it. And that is what people don't get. The housing crisis started because major Wall Street banks were heavily leveraged in things like mortgage-backed securities. And there's a term called contagion where you have these banks loaning money to the to each other. The actual amount of money in circulation is is like mag is like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 times more than the actual money that exists. Um, one one thing that happens in uh, in the city of London, which by the way, the city of London is not part of the British uh, government. It's not part of, of England. The city of London is an independent sovereign state similar to how Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. is technically independent from the United States of America. Same thing for Rome, the Vatican. The Vatican City is is independent from Italy. In the city of London, uh, and that's probably why, there is a term called rehypothecation. Rehypothecation is what allows banks to heavily leverage their bets exponentially. And as long as money is moving along, it's fine. But this is how rehypothecation works. Let's say I um, I own a hundred million dollars in uh, in credit default swaps. That's that's the, the the supposed value of of my of the of the asset that I have. I can pledge the that those that that portfolio to another bank as collateral, and then that other bank will then loan me, let's say, another fifty million dollars. So technically speaking, there's a hundred million dollars of supposed assets at stake, but now we've created an additional fifty million dollars in funding. So fifty million dollars in, in playing money at the casino. When I pledged an asset as a liability, so now I, what happens? Follow me here. So then I take that fifty million dollars and I go buy another asset. Well, that asset that I just bought, let's say now we're talking about mortgage-backed securities. 50 million mortgage-backed securities I just bought was actually pledged as a loan by the bank that I bought it from to another bank to get $100 million to buy something else. You're starting to see where this is going? You have all these bets and all these loans, and as long as the, the, the musical chair party continues to go in circles and the music keeps playing, it's fine. But what happens when the value of those assets starts to go down dramatically? Instead of $100 million, it goes down to 60 It goes down to 50 It goes down to 40 then you have what's called a margin call. 
Margin Call, there's a movie about it. Literally, it's called Margin Call. I highly uh, I highly implore you to, to take a look at it and watch it if you haven't already. But a Margin Call is when you get a tap on the shoulder from whatever bank has has been fun, you know, lending money to you. And when your collateral does no longer uh, match the amount of debt that you have with that bank, that's when they say, okay, it's time to either pay up, give us cash to settle your balance, or... It's time to sell. Even if you don't want to, force liquidation. You have to sell to, to, to so we don't lose more money. And that's where the global economy right now, people don't get. Bitcoin, you know, five years ago, it was mainly, you know, they're called retail traders. Regular people like me and you that were using their, their hard-earned money to invest and try to get rich with Bitcoin. That was what it was like five, six years ago. Now, in 2022, you have institutional adoption. You have Wall Street banks that are in Bitcoin. Maybe not like directly, but they have Bitcoin futures. They have Bitcoin ETFs, I believe, in Europe. There is a lot of money. I would argue billions, if not trillions of dollars in Bitcoin right now. What happens when, if war breaks out, if we have a major financial crisis, and what happens if Bitcoin, right now, it, it plunged within minutes. It was at 20, I think it was at 21,000 or t- almost 22,000. In minutes, it dropped from there down to below 19,000. You're talking about a two, $3,000 drop in minutes. Uh, what happens if that happens to Bitcoin, but it goes much further? It goes down to like 10. It goes down to seven. It goes down to five. If something like that were to happen, what would be the, be the response by the ruling elites of the world, you know, their mouthpieces at the at the Federal Reserve, the Bank of International Settlements, the European Central Bank, the US government, you know, the the EU Commission, all these all these government and banking entities. What would be their response? Well, I I would say cuz they've always hated Bitcoin at least at, on on paper on the surface, they would blame Bitcoin for causing the financial crisis even though Bitcoin is just a conduit. Bitcoin is just a, a middle entity that is being you know, exchanged, they would blame Bitcoin and they would say the reason this happened is because there's no oversight and no regulation and there's no ability for us to, you know, like like what the Federal Reserve is doing right now is raising interest rates. We can't, we have no tools at our disposal to fix this problem. So that's what I feel is coming. And this whole thing with Russia and everything with the economy and the, and, um, uh, the financial markets, it's all interlinked. None of it is a coincidence. So again, just to recap, that the pipelines are still spewing out natural gas, tons of it, and we have not only Joe uh, Joe Biden in February saying it, but then Victoria Newland uh, saying in January 27th of this year that the the pipeline would be taken offline one way or the other. Um, be vigilant, keep your eyes open, be aware when you start to hear them saying that we need to basically adopt central bank digital currencies that's when the writing should be on the wall for you and you should realize what I'm telling you is true and I'm not saying any of this to scare anyone it's just when you know the playbook you have to you have to share it with people a lot of times you know people accuse people like me of saying you know trying to scare people but this is how I liken it if you if you see a house is on fire are you scaring people by saying hey Get out of the house. It's on fire. No, you're not. You're trying to make people aware and save them. 
And that's that's all that I'm trying to do and many others like me are doing is we're just pointing out what's going on. It is up to you whether or not you respond to the truth with fear. And it all goes back, in my opinion, to God and faith. People who hate truth hate people that speak the truth. People that live in fear hate people that say things that seem scary to them. But if you have absolute true faith in God or whatever you believe is the master of this universe, there is no reason to fear. This is all happening for a reason. The thing that the Christians get wrong in the in biblical prophecy at the end of days, right? The world is not going to end in, this, in, in fire and brimstone. This world that we live in, this artificial world that we live in, if you actually read Revelation, will end. But that is only to clear a path for God's kingdom. Like the Matrix, this world is an illusion. And if you pay close enough attention, you can see it. We all act like robots. There's only, you know, you ever pay attention to like when you play a game like uh, The Sims or Grand Theft Auto or any of these, any of these immersive, massive, you know, worlds where you can go very far and it's very detailed and stuff. There's always a limitation, right? There's only so many different types of food you can eat. There's only so many different types of stores you can go to. There's only so many different types of cars you can go to. And that's the world that we live in. We have a ton of different fast food restaurants or restaurants in general. But if you pay attention, it's basically always the same thing. There's some kind of meat protein, whether it's these days, whether it's animal or plant-based. But it's the same basic thing. A hamburger, a burrito, uh, you know, a, a steak, a broiled chicken, you know. And then kids' meals is even more obvious. You know, you go to anywhere. It's Kids' meals is always a hamburger, grilled cheese, quesadilla, um, you know, a sandwich, chicken nuggets that's pretty much it every it doesn't matter if you're going to a, a, an italian restaurant a mexican place uh and carl's jr any of these places it's always basically the same thing you only meet so many types of different people you only have so many types of different choices you can only go in so many despite the planet being massive there's only so many places we can go have you ever been in an airplane and looked down at, at you know the mountain ranges and stuff you know tons of land and, you know, it's all been explored. It's like, has it? How many people are literally jumping in their truck and going and, and exploring these places? There's no roads. We are living in a simulation. There's so many scientists, uh, you know, experts in various fields, Stephen, uh, astrophysicists, you know, philosophers that have all said the same thing. There's a high probability that we are living in a simulation. And I'm telling you, the simulation is the world we live in. And and my, my whole my whole belief is that the whole point of it is to weed out the true believers and the true servants of God and the ones that are not. But anyway, thanks for listening. Be vigilant. Keep your eyes open. And uh, I will be back when uh, with more 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 episodes and um, faster, I guess, if, if, if there's more crazy stories that happen. Stay tuned. My name is Neo. You've been listening to The Matrix is Real. Out.